Well, good morning. My name is Chad Vincent. I'm the community group pastor, and it's my turn this morning to, to fill in a little bit and pinch hit with uh, Monty, our other teacher pastor, being gone for sabbatical. You typically see me at the front door, right? Give you a smile and, and hello. Hopefully uh, you've come back because of that. If not, don't tell me that. But uh, I, uh, I enjoy this privilege and honor to, to be able to open God's word with you this morning. They call them the greatest generation. They were born during the Depression, and they fought during World War II. They couldn't come home from the war, and so they'd done enough. They did their duty, but instead they came home from the war, and they built our country into the greatest ever. Laurie's uncle was one of these men. I knew I probably wouldn't get through the introduction. We called him Uncle Aubrey. And uh, my boys were little, we all goes to his house and he would give them Pepsi Cola and Moon Pies. <laughs> and they knew that we wouldn't say no. He sat in his old rocking chair, and right in front of him was his purple heart he won in the war. I would ask him occasionally about the war, and he would get this glazed over look in his eyes because, you see, his buddies didn't come home. He saw the atrocities of war that you and I can't even imagine. So I asked Uncle Aubrey one time, I said, I said, Uncle, I said, how did you, how'd you do that? How do you do what's right? He's a country guy, not pretentious at all, very unassuming. He said, well, boy, you do what's right because it's the right thing to do. There's a lot of wisdom in that. A lot of wisdom in that generation and a lot of wisdom in his life. And a lot of days I wish I could just go sit on his porch and be with Uncle Aubrey and hear his stories and watch his dogs run in the field and eat a moon pie and drink a Pepsi Cola. And it's crazy when you get older because he had his oxygen tank right beside of him and he was sitting in his rocker and he would light up a cigarette. <laughs> and I didn't have the heart to tell him, but I said, Uncle, we're about to blow up. <laughs> but when you're, when you're that old, you just sit there and you go, you're on holy ground. Just keep your mouth shut and learn something. So I kept my mouth shut, and I was determined to learn something. Have you ever been around someone that you wanted what they had? You want to spend time with them? Because as you watch them, they got what you want. And that's what my Uncle Aubrey, that's what Laurie's uncle had. We call him Uncle Aubrey, that's what he had. He had what I wanted. See, he was prudent, he was humble, he was a man of his word. He took care of his wife until the day she died. And he, he had no kids. I didn't ask why. But see, this man says he's going to do something. He's going to do something. He was a man worth following. And I'm a better person because I knew Uncle Aubrey. And so this morning, I want to show you in the text, I want to show you a man worth following. I want to show you what's going to happen here is 
We're going to have an object lesson. Jesus gives an object lesson about a man worth following. See, as we started studying Luke chapter 1, we've learned about he wrote this gospel to give us an orderly account. This is true. An apologetic of who Jesus is. And all through the first nine chapters, he's been rhetorical with one question. Who is this man? Who is this man? And so he, he, every time he has a miracle, he turns his disciples to the question, who is this man? So we come to chapter 9, and right as we get to chapter 9, we see the greatest man in the world, he gives his authority away to his disciples. So much so that later on, if you recall in chapter 9, the beginning of chapter 9, Jeff talked about last week, Herod asked the question, who is this man? What is he doing? He's got his attention. Because, you see, this man is worth following. Later on in chapter 9, Jesus comes to the disciples and says two questions. Who do the crowd say I am? And then it gets more personal. And who do you say I am? And right in the middle of that bookend right here, two bookends. One is Herod. One is the uh, disciples, the question of disciples. Right in the middle, he gives an object lesson. See, he's about to show these men Jesus and his followers, he's showing them that he's worthy to be followed. And not so much by his words in this story, but by his actions. And that's the background this morning. As you turn to Luke chapter 9, verse 10 through 17, that sets the stage for us. Sets the stage for the miracle. And tell us what the miracle is supposed to be and intended to be. See, the miracle is not for the crowds. The miracle is for the disciples. He draws them in close and says, listen to me. It's like I hear Uncle Aubrey's voice draw me in close and say, listen, son, I have something to tell you. I have something to say. Because I've lived this life. I fought in wars. I was faithful to one woman. Come in, listen to me said, this is not just a person, this is Jesus, the God-man, and he draws his disciples in because he wants to show them he's a man worth following. My uncle had feet of clay. He's passed away, and I miss him like crazy. But see, Jesus is always the center of the narrative, the center of the story. And so this morning as we come and we get drawing close, I want you to see and don't miss what this miracle is intended to be. It's not for the crowds. It's for the disciples and his followers because he's going to say, I'm going to teach you something. Ring the bell, class is in session, be quiet and listen and watch. And so the characters in the story, very simple characters. You got Jesus, you got the disciples, and you got the crowd. So as you turn there, let's look at verse 10. Let's, let's, let's kind of get into the situation. What's happening? On their return, the apostles told him all they had done. And he took them and withdrew to a town called Bethesda. See what's happening? Jesus has commissioned the disciples to do everything. That means what? Preach the gospel and heal the sick. 
cast out demons. They have his authority. So they come back in chapter 10 and they tell Jesus all that he's done, all the great works he's performed. <coughs> Jesus, we did this. Jesus, we did that. We did this. Here's what we did. And you know Jesus sitting there and he's proud. He's sitting back and I'm sure he's smiling going, yes, you're living as I created you to live. I'm so proud of you. So he withdrew to Bethesda to a private place because why? After a hard day's work, they need some rest. They need to relax some R&R. But right here, verse 11, watch what happens. When the crowds learned of this, they followed him and Jesus welcomed them and spoke to them the kingdom of God and he cured those who needed healing. And so as soon as the crowds learn of this, watch what happens. Notice what happens. See, the crowds hear what's going on. And they're mesmerized by Jesus. They want to be with Jesus because of all he's done. But the other gospels tell us the intention. You know why they want to be with Jesus? Not so much because of his character and his substance. They want to be with Jesus because of what he's doing. They want to be with Jesus because of what Jesus does for them. And so they follow him out, and despite that, watch the grace of God. Despite that, notice what Jesus does. He spoke to them the kingdom of God, and he cured their diseases. He healed them. So the two things he commissions the disciples to do, preach the kingdom, heal physical disease, Jesus turns around and welcomes the crowd and does those two things. Makes you ask the question, what is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God can be summed up by the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. See, Jesus has an agenda, a kingdom he's trying to initiate, and he's trying to, to reign and rule. That's the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is already not yet. See, we experience some of that, but not all of that in its totality. We experience relationship with God, but it's not perfect because of what? Sin. So we experience some of that, but not all of that. And so what Jesus is saying is, I'm preaching the kingdom. I'm doing what I commissioned you to do. But don't miss the two-pronged emphasis of the kingdom. Preaching and healing. So when he's preaching, he's validating who he is. That he's worth following He's drawing them in close and saying, watch me, disciples. Watch me. Watch me. Look at me. Notice me. I'm welcome in. I'm doing what I commissioned you to do. But let's get to the conflict. Now the day began to wear away, and disciples came and said to him, send the crowd away. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding village and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. For we are here in a desolate place. So put yourself there. You see what's going on in the story? The disciples are kind of being preempted. They say, Jesus, we're going to have a problem. I don't know if they didn't care about the crowd. They could or could not. It could go either way. But they knew something was about to happen. It was getting dark. And when it gets dark, it's time to eat what? Dinner. It's time to eat supper. And so he drew them in. He says, hey, as he draws them in, says, listen to me, watch what I'm about to do. 
And disciples go, hold on a second, hold on a second, God. Before you do that, I got a plan, right? I've got a, let's, let's, let's go ahead and send them out. In contrast to what Jesus is doing, Jesus is welcoming, disciples are sending them out. Notice in the text, they can get some lots. So he, they're just trying to, he's trying to, their disciples are trying to think ahead of the game. They go, get hungry, we're going to have a problem on our hands. Did you catch it? Did you see it? You didn't miss it, did you? Who are the disciples with? They're with Jesus. See, they forgot who they're with. And they go into problem solve and fix it mode. And they begin to send them out. And Jesus is right there going, hey, you got me. You got me. You see the great compassion of Jesus, don't you? Just, just listen real quick with me here. When he performs miracles of healing throughout the gospel, it shows his compassion for those who were ill. When he performs miracles about casting out the demons, it shows his compassion from those who were tormented. When he, when he performs miracles about resurrection people from the dead, it shows he has compassion for those who mourn. And in this story, when he provides food, it has compassion for those who are what? Who are hungry. That's his character. That's his nature. That's his substance. That's who he is. And he's trying to tell the disciples, this is why I'm worth following, because I'm different than you. I'm not like you. I'm the son of man. When you got me, you got all you need. You don't have to worry about problem solve. You don't have to worry about controlling. You don't have to worry about managing in life. You ain't got to worry about fixing things. When you got me, you got me. And all that entails. And they say, send them away. We got this, Jesus. We're going to take care of this for you. So we get to the climax. The tension keeps rising. The tension keeps rising. And then at 13, look what he tells the disciples to do. Look at 13. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. <laughs> you give them something to eat. And they said to him, we only have five, you know the story, five loaves and two fish. Unless we're able to go buy food for all these people. See, what is Jesus doing? He looks right at his disciples, right at the climax of the miracle, and he says, you feed them. You take care of them. Just a couple weeks earlier, I gave you the greatest thing I can give you. I gave you the greatest thing I have, my power, my authority. I gave it to you. Now the situation appears to be too what? Too big. Because look at the next verse. For there are about 5,000 people there. So right at the crescendo of the miracle, right at the climax, he says, you feed them. And right then the disciples go, you talking to me? <laughs> you must be talking to, you're talking to me, right? Me? Me, me? me feed them. Like, you know who I am, Jesus? You want me to feed them? Well, let me see here. Fish, loaves, money. No, hold on a second. Me. You're talking to me. 
You want me to feed them? Me, Jesus, me. Yes, you feed them. Because why? I'm here. You got me. And it went. See, I told you, class is in session. And disciples fail the test. Sounds just like who? Me. Sounds just like you. It sounds just like us. Right in the crucible of life, we forget who we've got. And we've got Jesus. Because you know what? we got 5,000 people to feed. It's too big. It's too much. So Jesus comes on the scene. He doesn't shame them. He doesn't embarrass them. He'll say, what are you doing? I've been with you for how many months now? How many years have I been with you? This is what you're going to do? Really? Really? Do you see the text? What's it say? Right next verse, what's it say? And he said to the disciples, really? Seriously? That's all I've done for you? Like, sit, this is what happens? He has them sit down, groups of 50, and they did so. And taking the loaves, taking the bread, taking the fish, Jesus bows his head like any pious Jew would do, and he blesses the food. You see what he did? He went back and said, hey, wait a minute. I've got this. I've got you, disciples. Let me teach you some more about who I am. Let me tell you another thing, why I'm worth following. He brings them in. He's got the loaves. He's got the fish. And he gives the prey. And I don't know how this happens, but read with me. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. He said a blessing over them. And then he broke the loaves and he gave them to disciples to set before the crowd. And somehow they, they ate and they were satisfied. And what was left, he picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. They were satisfied. Somehow Jesus took and made something out of nothing. Right? Something out of nothing and multiplies that and gives it to the disciples and say, hey, back to the other verse, you feed them. He provides a way for them to feed the, the, the crowd. You feed them. He goes, I'm going to show you. I'm going to give you. And you're going to feed them. I'm not going to feed them. I'm going to multiply, but I'm going to send you out, and you're going to feed them. Because I'm training you. I believe in you. I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm going to empower you. Right at the moment of your failure, I'm going to come in and give you what's called grace. What's called forgiveness. Right then, when you want to wallow in self-pity and self-doubt, I'm going to go back and show you the gospel. Because it's not about the bread and the fish. Do you understand? They were satisfied. This word satisfied, and I'm not an agriculture guy at all. I'm from a small town, but for some reason I didn't learn how to plant anything and grow anything. But what this word means, satisfied, it's when you bring an animal feed. Listen to this. When you bring an animal feed and you pour it in this trough and he eats until he gorges himself. See, he's not out there getting the food himself. 
You bring it in, you're putting it in the trough, you're spreading it out to feed. He's, he's eating it, the animal is, and, and who's providing it? See there? This word satisfies what happens when you go on holidays and you sit around your grandmother's table, your mom and dad's table, wherever you go, and you eat and you gorge yourself and you get in a food coma and you take a nap. <laughs> That's what this word satisfy means. Your stomach's bloated and you go down and say, Woo, honey, I gotta lay down. And then you unbuckle one, two, Deals, you satisfy. You can't eat anymore. That's how Jesus treats his followers. You see what Jesus does? See, Jesus satisfies them. Don't miss this. He satisfies them. So much so their bellies are about to bite. He didn't give them just enough to get through. He satisfies them completely. So let's move on to some lessons learned. Because I just want to stay here and stay in the first century with you. we got to bring this home to where we live, where we, where we are today. So Jesus is always in teaching mode. If Jesus is always in teaching mode, therefore this miracle is to instruct the disciples. If it's to instruct disciples, I better listen up. This miracle also is to instruct me about this man Jesus and why he's worth following. But see, just like you and I, we're infected with a disease. It drives me absolutely crazy. You know what disease is? It's called independence. See, we want to be autonomous. We want to be self-sufficient. We want to say, I got this. See, independence comes out in self-sufficiency. And self-sufficiency is I have everything in me to do what I'm supposed to do and be what I'm supposed to be, right? See, I'm self-reliant. And it goes in real subtly, especially in the church culture. Because we can know just a little bit to say we trust Jesus with our mouth. We can know just a little bit of stories and say, hey, this is what it means. We can even interpret it. But when we leave these church doors and we go out in life, that self-sufficiency rises up in us. And even though we might know these Christian phrases, we might even believe them occasionally, that ugly head of self-sufficiency, I got everything I need to make this happen. So this life I live, it's all about me making it work. It's my connections. It's my energy. It's my ability. It's my talent. And we so easily forget the one who's given us all that. And we got to be careful not to miss it. We got to be careful to fight this battle daily because it rises up. And this miracle of feeding the 5,000 He's showing us. Jesus is showing you something. He's showing me something. See, I'm worth following because I meet two needs for you. I meet your physical need and I meet your spiritual need. And we've got to get that right. I meet your physical need and I meet your spiritual need. Because here's the tendency. Number one, the physical need. That's the way we were created. The simple thing of bread. The simple thing of every day we have to eat. See, we blow by that and we forget that. Every day God created us to be dependent upon food for substance and nutrients and nourishment for our body. If we don't eat every day physically, what happens? We, we die. We atrophy. And he stops right here and says, listen to me, disciples. Listen to me, church. Don't blow by this. Jesus says in his prayer, give us a day our daily bread. 
in our fast food culture, we just move along and we forget, no, 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 Jesus provides my bread. He provides my meal every single day. And that's why he's worthy to follow because he provides. I don't do that. I have gifts and abilities, but that's because he's given me those. And so what I do is I turn back in a posture of thanksgiving, and I thank God for all he's done. And all he's given me, the physicalness, the physical food that nourishes my body every day. So you see it with Jesus again. He heals the sick, makes the blind see, makes the lame walk, because he cares about our physical needs. He cares that we're hungry, and he provides that for us. But stay with me, but gradually, do you see yourself how this happens? Gradually, oh no, the company's going to downsize, and they're getting rid of me. See, one moment everything's fine, and then my health is great. I'm doing fine. And then one moment, I have lingering health issues that, I, that don't seem to go away. Financially, we're stable. We're great. One financial setback takes me all the way back. That's a little heavy. Here's a lighter one. So I think to myself, I'm going to go run a mile. I've run a mile a while. I'll run a mile. I'll run a mile. Friday, Sunday, I can barely stand up. And, I mean, I'm so sore. My body is just like, it is tight. I'm like, oh, trying to get out of bed, trying to move. See, physical. Why do I say that? Because that's what happens. Sometimes we can just forget who provides our needs, our basic health needs. And we're dependent upon that. And that's how Jesus created us, to be dependent, not independent. And so it's that his grace that he covers our physical needs to, here's the deal, to show us something greater. Just like in the Bible, all the people he heals, guess what happens to them? They get sick again. The people he's going to feed in this, in, this, in this story, guess what happens to them? They get hungry again. See, it's temporary satisfaction. And it's temporary because always pointing, what Jesus is doing, he's always pointing to something greater. He's always pointing to something greater. And that greater satisfaction is himself. There's a story of a lady, older lady. She was sitting in the front row of a church. And when the preacher started talking, she would say, get him up. Get him up. And what she's saying is, lift Jesus up. The preacher didn't do get him up, lift him up. She started shouting again, get him up. Get him up. And that sister will wear that pastor out if, if he didn't make sure that Jesus is the main thing and getting him up and not ourselves. And getting us off ourselves and onto something greater, a greater story. And these physical needs that you have, that I have, they always point to something greater. And that's the spiritual. And this is why Jesus is worth following because he not meets our physical needs. He also meets our spiritual needs. You know the verse we don't live by bread alone, but every word of the Lord. And that was from, the, that was from when uh, the, uh, I'm going to come to him in a minute, 
And that's when Satan was tempting Jesus in the, in the, uh, after 40 days of fasting. He was tempting Jesus. And Jesus says, I don't live by everything physical. I live by the spiritual. See, Jesus frequently in, the, in his gospel says, I have food you know not of. I have food you do not know of. I Meaning his nourishment is a spiritual nourishment. See, he has food we don't know of. And he's trying to, as he, as he, as he uh, makes that way in there, communicates that to us, he's trying to tell us something important. Because we're followers, and Jesus is trying to say, our real satisfaction comes when we see our spiritual need. So let's not be too harsh on disciples. When Jesus says, feed them, and they go, me? Because here's, here's what happens. If we're not careful, spiritually speaking, we forget to see our needs because what happens is we come in here and we start getting a little bit healthy. We start getting a little bit better. We think, oh, we've graduated from the gospel now. See, because I, I came in here and I saw my need and I was really hurting and my marriage was falling apart and my kids weren't doing well and I wasn't doing well, but now I'm getting a lot better. I'm getting so much so better now that what happens now is I'm starting to know how to pray. I'm starting to learn how to, to teach a little bit. I'm starting to see how God's using me. And so wait a minute, I'm getting better. See, because you don't know, I'm in charge of a ministry now. I mean, I do stuff now. Like, I mean, I have family devotion with my kids now. Things are going well at home. Me and my wife are doing great. Things are doing wonderful. It's so easy to think I've graduated from the gospel. You see what happens? I start gradually getting better and better, and there it is, self-sufficiency, self-reliant, and now look how much God's given me. See, I used to be on the other side of the desk, but now, now I'm, I'm teaching people, I'm sharing people, I'm giving. I'm healthy, and that's the danger. See, we, we never graduate from the basics of the gospel. And see, that's why I'm telling you, it's not about the bread and the fish, it's about spiritual nourishment that satisfies you. Because you've got to always come back to what satisfies you. I don't care how healthy, better you get in life. It doesn't matter. You never graduate the gospel. You never get rid of the gospel. You have to come back day and day and day and day, no matter how good your life's going. No matter how much God's using you. It doesn't matter. You have to come back to what's the main thing. The main thing is going back to who Jesus is. And he's worth following because of what he's done. You see, what's the greatest gift? Think about it. What's the greatest gift you can give someone? What's the greatest gift you can give someone? A nice vacation? A nice house to live in? A nice car to drive? What is the greatest thing you can give someone? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. So what Jesus is saying is, I give you myself. The greatest thing relationally you can give someone is yourself. If you're married, your spouse wants you. If you have kids, your kids want you. If you're dating, dating advice, that, that person wants you. They don't want your stuff. That feels like I'm being used. That's like I'm a project. I don't want that stuff. I want you. I want to know you. All the other stuff I can get away with. 
And so Jesus comes in and says, I give a spiritual gift to you. I give you forgiveness. I give you love. I give you reconciliation. When everything in life is falling apart, you've got me. Don't fall in love with the other stuff. That stuff comes and goes. Fall in love with me. I'm the incarnate. I'm the incarnation of the gospel. It's me. And what your heart deeply wants this morning is, is a person. You don't be fixed. You don't want a program. You want the spiritual nourishment of satisfaction of sitting back and going, man, I am completely satisfied in Christ and in Christ alone because this morning I'm getting him up. I'm not too good to go back to the gospel. That's where I find life and satisfaction. Why would I not do that? Feed my spiritual soul. But sadly, we live in a world that all we've got is the, the physical and, and it's all in our face all day long. It's like a carrot waving at us. Come get it. Come get it. Come get it. Stop going chasing the carrot. Chase Jesus. He satisfies your soul. The material things will never satisfy. And that's what he's trying to articulate in the parable. It's not about the bread and the fish, for crying out loud. It's not about that. And so you're going to be like me one day. You're going to be on a boat one day at a lake with some good friends. And you're going to be hanging out. And it'll be a great time. Great people. Great food. Great generosity. And you're going to look to your right one day. You'll see a boat. And the boat's going to go by you. And people will name their boats, right? And you're going to look around and go, huh, that boat's name was Never Satisfied. Never Satisfied. I don't know who the captain of the boat is. I don't know the boat's story. But I'm going, you named your boat never satisfied? You've got everything people long for and want. And the best title you can come on a boat with is never satisfied. You've got it all. And you're never satisfied. And so I sat there and not even judging, but I told Laura, I said, did you see the title of the boat? We're having a great day at the lake. I love the lake. I love throwing my kids up and watching them on the, on the tube and flip. And Griffin took a backflip about to kill himself. And it's hilarious. I laughed. And, I mean, I laughed and laughed and laughed. And I love it when my kids fail like that. I love it. And pain, yeah. <laughs> and so it's great. It's fun for me. I didn't get any of it. I'm too old. And so I just watched them fall. And so, but then you're looking around going, you're never satisfied. So church, can I ask you a question? And myself a question. See, are you, are you satisfied? Are you really satisfied? Or do you come to Jesus and kind of play this little game? Of, well, you know, I know, the, I know the church language. I know the church culture. But I don't. That feels so shallow. But I'm really doing my own strength. And I don't know about you, but I'm 43. I'm not young. I'm still young. I'm not old. But I'm tired of living like that. I'm tired. And I think if my uncle was alive, I think he would tell me, that's not a good way to live. The best way to live is to depend upon someone and entrust your life with them. Are you ready? Are you willing to do that? Because you'll never graduate the gospel.
And I don't want you at your funeral one day, some guy stand up saying, well, Chad, he was a good guy, but he was never satisfied. I don't want that to be on your epitaph. I want to know that you were full, you were stuffed, you feasted on Christ every day. You were fat in Christ. That's what I want to be, just purity, fat in Christ, happy and fat. See, that's the beauty of the gospel. Let's pray. Father God, thanks for your love and your grace and your goodness that this story isn't about fish and chips, that this story reveals our independent nature. It reveals that you're worth following. It, it, it reveals that you have substance and character and you truly do satisfy. So I pray we repent from our self-sufficiency and self-independence. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Let's take a moment, if you would, and as... Um, reflecting on the sermon a little bit. Space Pets is up behind you. Just one thing, one thought that uh, you could take away. I think for me throughout preparing this, I think for me it was just believing again and again and coming back to Christ that he really is whole satisfaction, you know, because my day is so busy and I, and I forget that. So it might be a belief, it might be a something to do. Um, it might be a prayer. It might be something you want to think about. Um, so just think about that for, for a couple seconds here.